and it's 8.30 a.m. on Good Friday here in Melbourne. Welcome to the Supply Chain Bunker. Today we're going to be focusing on robotics and we're going to be joined by Fresh Consulting Automation Director Marco Micheletti. Um, looking forward to that. He's got more than 20 years experience managing engineering teams, driving automation, product development, supply chain, manu manufacturing, and has worked on products like the Xbox 360, Nike's GPS watch and fuel band, steam controller and steam VR kit. So hugely interesting background. Before we do that, I'm gonna share some headlines and then we're gonna get a little bit of a insight into the kind of week Dave's been having. Um, one of the things, one of the big words that I'm seeing at the moment in, in headlines is the word pivot. And we're seeing a massive manufacturing pivot right now as companies set up to produce products needed to help with the crisis, frontline products and, and you know, other stuff that's supporting that. And we're seeing some multi-million dollar orders for very large companies. Uh, according to Bloomberg, I think yesterday there was a GM and Ventec contract to produce ventilators for almost $500 million. Wow. Um, and it creates a partnership that's going to deliver 30,000 ventilators by the end of August with at least one fifth delivered by, before the 1st of June. The concern there is the timeline really, you know, how many ventilators are we going to have when we need them and how many are we going to have as a stockpile when it's too late? Um, there's been a, an amazing spirit of innovation and creativity to stand up new solutions recently. Um, this needs a design approach that's somewhat different and reflects what's available in the market rather than the ideal solution. So designing for supply chain is suddenly top of mind and top of agenda. Uh, you know, making sure products can be delivered to where they need to be rather than just being the right product. So there's a lot of compression of that design process. Some interest in applications, uh, Jacksonville Transport Authority have partnered with an autonomous vehicle uh, mobility company, Beep and Navia, uh, to transport COVID-19 tests um, from a drive-through testing site to their processing lab laboratory. So we're seeing those applications in AVs. AVs. Um, and that's just one of examples of new technologies stepping up. There are numerous examples of 3D printing coming to support urgent needs. Uh, drones as a technology are becoming very interesting. They're finding a role in terms of monitoring populations, disinfecting public areas, delivering critical supplies, and even temperature checking using heat sensitive sensors. Um, so cool. more and more come. Yeah, it is. It's, it, it's really interesting to see those those automation applications. And yeah, I think that's something we'll get into today with uh, with Marco. More and more companies asking how supply chains will change for the better to be more prepared for, for future disruptions. So we're kind of seeing a little bit of an evolution of that post COVID-19 story, which I think is important. And the words that come out there are, are the combination of agility and resilience. How do we build both of those um, into supply chain and what are those, what are those tools look like? And, you know, we've got a webinar coming up on healthcare and I think the supply chains in there are, are very relevant to that and that that requirement for that um, that resilience and that um, agility and interestingly there's a kind of a there's a curious dividend because manufacturing and travel disruptions have delivered this short-term climate benefit 
Um, and that might be significant because there was a Harvard survey out this week or a Harvard um, study that came out that said air pollution prior to the outbreak could have impacted the uh, morbidity rate by as much as 15%. So excessive particulates in, in our atmosphere leading up to the outbreak is quite possibly aggravating the situation. So any positive change in terms of air quality is going to be hugely valuable. Those are today's headlines. Uh, meanwhile, I've been reading headlines um, about the face shield product in uh, projects in various different places. Dave, tell me a bit about how that's going and, and what else has been keeping you busy this week. I, I can't believe that it's already been a week since our last one. Uh, it mm. feels like it's been a month in, in some ways. Uh, time, I think, is uh, small businesses uh, slow down during this period and and at the same time, moving a mile a minute. Um, so, you know, we are, we're full speed ahead. I think, like you said, last week, we launched a, a project to help build PPEs for frontline workers. Um, this was based upon a lot of demand we had seen, uh, just inquiries say, how can we help? And so uh, we spun up a, a full uh, set of injection molding tools, both domestically in the US, as well as in Asia and China. Uh, to help meet some of the demand that we saw 3D printers and hobbyists doing for face shields, but to do it at a professional scale. Uh, we've had over a million units requested already. Wow. Uh, we have more inquiries every single day. We've had folks from Mark Cuban's foundation to the Gates Foundation reach out to people on the East Coast. I mean, the demand has just been unbelievable. Uh, yeah. And I'm just so proud of the work of all of our victors to take our technology we built and apply it in this, in this time of need. Um, yeah. I think, you I know, think it's the, a, go ahead. Sorry. I think it's a great example of how you have circumvented, you know, if you, if you'd said you're going to stand up a product of your own yeah. two or three months ago, you would have put together a four or five month cycle. You would have gone out to beta testing. You would have had a focus group. There would have been a whole bunch of things. They've been circumvented by taking an open source design, improving that design, designing it for manufacture, designing it for available supply chain, available logistics, we went, and getting yeah, it we, there fast. We went in 10 days from idea to shipping the first thousand units uh, and the ability to do, now I think we're up to 10,000 units a day, that that's our yeah. production capabilities. If you just think about that, like that is agility in supply chain. And yeah. so I think that with all the things, and I, and I have a couple of things I wanted to hit on here, but uh, in terms of news, but of all the things, like these are the great things that are coming out. Yeah. It's great to see this type of work across Ford and what the, they've been doing. I'm a Ford alumni, you know, yeah. watching Tesla build ventilators out of Model 3 car parts. Like uh, it's truly an extraordinary time for ingenuity uh, and innovation. Uh, and it's really, really exciting. I think the flip side of that is, you know, for the folks in the U.S., this is a really hard time. Yeah. Um, so for people that are watching, you know, uh, my thoughts and prayers go out to all the families, members, and communities around the U.S., uh, where this week and next are going to be some of the hardest time in the last couple of decades in, in the United States. Um, you know, we saw last week 6.6 .6 million people lost their job, filed for unemployment yeah. in the United States, which is just jaw-dropping, and that number is expected to grow. Uh, PPE shortages across the board, you know, just uh, is really putting a focus lens, I think, on supply chain, yeah. uh, which is why we have everyone together uh, here. 
And so one of my things to call out, I think a lot of folks are hitting the frontline workers and supply chain talking about doctors and nurses, and that's great. But we have to remember that uh, there's all these other people that have needs as well yeah. in supply chain, jails and prisons, First Nation reserves, community shelters, all of these people need PPEs. There's a great story out of Chicago where Cook County Jail 238 inmates and 115 staff members were tested positive for COVID. Wow. And if you just think about that, this is a group of people that really need our help. And it's not a, it's not a, uh, the problem is around supply chain. The problem is around access. Yeah. And it's just such a shame that if we can solve supply chain and I think get everyone who's on this, uh, who's watching this, how do we innovate here? That's really my call yeah. on today. Yeah. We need to be innovating for thinking about what do we do in Q3 of this year, in Q4 of this year, 2021, like how are we going to change supply chains? Um, yeah. Really pushing leaders to, to think about this. Um, and so I think yeah. today I'm really excited to talk about robotics uh, yeah. and to be able to bring in experts to say how are robots going to change our world here. Yeah. Um, and maybe the last thing that I'll, I'll give a plug out to just to remind all the watchers is this is meant to be interactive. So yeah. our hope is, uh, Krista, thank you. She, she posted the, the first question, but use the chat window, ask a Q&A. We are so lucky to be able to have Marco uh, on, yeah. the, on the show today and, and to be able to uh, learn from him. So please, let's, let's interact. Yeah. This. So Phil, I'll give it yeah. back to you. Yeah, no, and I think you make some great points there. And I'm, you know, when I kind of look at those parallels between the agility and the speed you were talking about in the project, you've, you've stood up and what we need in the future. I, what I really hope is we learn some lessons and we apply those lessons to create something, something that's, that's much more resilient and much more agile and, and, and able to cope and able to help people faster in the future. Let's talk about robotics a bit more. Let's bring Michael Micheletti in from uh, Fresh Consulting. Michael, um, please join us. I, I gave a short introduction to you at the top of the show. If there's anything else you want to add to that, go ahead and do so. But really, we want to kick off with, once you've done that, with the ro role of robotics right on the front line. What are robotics, robots um, delivering? What are they able to do right now? Yeah, and uh, thanks, Dave, and thanks, Phil, for having me. And uh, the, the, the background there, yeah, was pretty good. I've spent basically a lot of time in supply chain, manufacturing, product development, um, kind of end-to-end -end in the last uh, good chunk of time I've been focused on, um, you know, coming up and figuring out ways of, around manufacturing and automation and robotics on, on how to, uh, you know, lean into this uh, agility that you're talking about and help make things faster and better and higher quality. And that's, you know, that's one of the, the traditional ways of, that robotics um, helps us in, in our day-to-day -day manufacturing supply chain places. Um, but it's really starting to open our eyes as to what the needs are and where and, and interesting functions that that robotics are really starting to play, um, you know, in the in the situation that we're that we're at today. Um, you know, traditionally, robotics and, and automation have been very um, fixed and, and expensive. And, it, you know, they, they stay in one place and they do one thing and all of a sudden, uh, the cost is coming down, which allows us to use them in, in different areas and allows us to come up with new and novel novel applications. And, and then real innovation really starts happening when you join, you know, other technologies along with them. And so 
you know, as we, you know, look at how um, robotics might play a part in, in the medical space, um, you know, obviously they're, they're, they're this distancing and buffer type of technology, which you never really thought about uh, a robot being there. You thought about it as this, it's this device that did something. I think about like the Jetsons, right? It's just, you know, running around with a robot serving me food every day, right? Right. Pick up the socks or whatever. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, that there's this mindset of these are these very traditional things that robotics would, would, are good for and can do. And how do I figure out how to, you know, flip a beer to me when I'm in my sofa? And, and that's not what we're talking about these days. You know, there are real, real solutions, real applications to go after here. And, and, you know, robots are really interesting just in the context when you start talking about social distancing, they're really good at that. Maybe um, I can, I can steal your framework and so I'll take the first question where, I love this idea of how you describe the three D's that are the role of a robot. Maybe you can share a little bit more around that. And I, I love this framework. Yeah. And, and this is traditional. This isn't mine, but it's, yeah. you know, robots are, are great in places where there's work to be done. That's dull, dangerous, or dirty. And, and those are um, just very, very traditional, great places to start looking for, you know, automate, automated and robotic type solutions. And, you know, all of a sudden our definition of what, you know, kind of dangerous is in terms of uh, viruses has, you know, expanded beyond just the lab and the hospital environment. Um, it's around us now every day. And so, you know, just one really specific, you know, area is when you start looking at, you know, last mile deliveries and, and applications like that, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get why all these folks have been focusing on on robotic type delivery solutions and, and all of a sudden it's very pertinent these days. So let's take like yeah. that last mile solution. I, I think like what is like, why do you think that that has been able to be built in maybe the last five years or like maybe talk to me either on the product development or what you've seen kind of throughout your career and how that's changed either from a supply chain or manufacturability. Like it just seems like robotics are more prevalent in many different niche solutions than ever before. Um, it, it's, it's the combination again, it's um, the combination of, you know, in the supply chain of logistics solutions of, Hey, we have a robot all of a sudden that can, um, you know, we don't need to buffer up huge amounts of material all over the, all over the globe. We can put it locally in smaller amounts. And so, in logistics, it's it's the combination with you know like AI and machine learning, and how do we position materials closer to where people need them so that they can get them more quickly? Um, you know, those are two, you know, in the supply chain, like the things that Walmart and Amazon do in that space, they really lead the way. Um, you know, that's just one very innovative and disruptive uh, way that we get our products to us every day. It's become the expectation, and so when we apply that to the way you know, uh, traditional electronics or products are made overseas all of a sudden, and we have a situation like this, uh, that process breaks down. And so now we have a model and a roadmap to go and look about, look out how we're going to speed delivery of critical care items and PPEs and, and medicine and testing kits and get them into people, people's hands where they need them quickly. Yeah. Marco, have you seen specific examples where you've just thought, wow, that's a perfect application for... <laughs> robotics and 
and has the has the industry responded to that and delivered specific solutions are there examples out there where people have really hit the road running there, there's a few examples that we've worked on at, at fresh and i've seen just um anecdotally pretty much anywhere we've seen time and time again when there's a a bring something from point a to point b and you have a person involved in that situation um and the person isn't adding a lot of value and, it's, and that, it's, it's a dull job. It's repetitive. Um, there's better uses for, for people doing higher value work, um, mm -hmm. solving, solving greater problems. And that's just a, a standard use case. And so we look at large and small uh, applications um, from, you know, installing uh, solar panels in a 1500 acre solar farm, mm -hmm. delivering solar panels back and forth to the workers who are doing the precision working uh, operation of applying them to to set them up um, we see the same thing you know I never I never was really really convinced about um, you know food delivery service robots but all of a sudden boy they sure make a lot of sense and, and I think we've really found the use case and we're gonna start seeing the acceleration of robots in a lot of these places where um, they seem maybe uh, niche or, or um, maybe slightly frivolous maybe that's the wrong word i'm sorry if i offend yeah. anybody there but it, it boy today it makes all the sense in the world yeah. and i'll be the first to, to change my mind about that i think phil we see the same thing in our world too where i love this concept marco you talk about of like the precision work done by the human yeah. and then this dull work done by machine and so i think it's actually a a, a really strong trend that um how can we drive more automation and different processes where you're using this automation that's human plus machine? So whether it is solar panels being delivered in a hospital, you deliver the drugs, but a human still administers them. Uh, yeah. In uh, the industrial setting, we call these cobots, right? Where it's humans working alongside of a robot to do heavy lifting, but maybe the final precision work is being done. Uh, it's amazing the amount of solutions that have been created I think uh, to enable this. And we've seen from the supply chain side, just uh, it's been amazing to see how many different industry solutions kind of come together as you build some of these. So uh, if you're gonna be Amazon that's building Scout or you know all these food yeah. delivery, they're borrowing navigation from automotive. You know, they are taking sensors that LiDAR came from defense and missiles to start. Uh, and then they're delivering something that's a consumer application so I can get a fresh burrito in California, yeah. uh, which yeah. is this amazing setting. And that's bringing together all those ingredient technologies. Every time I go to CES and they present at the beginning to the media, they present the ingredient technologies that they think are key. And, you know, artificial intelligence is always up there. Um, robotics is always there and automation is there for that reason. And, but it's always with robotics, it needs to be that human partnership. It needs to be, taking us into this augmented age where we can achieve more with robotics, not be replaced by robotics. Because whenever I go to CES, I always come away thinking, wow, we're working so hard to mimic what humans can do. Humans are actually freaking awesome in terms of being able to do really complicated tasks and being able to receive huge amounts of information from lots of different places. So that augmentation is, is really important. And right now it's even more important because there are tasks that a, that a doctor needs to do where he needs to deal with a lot of complex parameters, but the 
delivery or the interaction with the patient can be done remotely thanks to thanks to some robotic solutions is that something you're seeing marco in the in the way people are thinking about this problem yeah that, that, that's right on um again you know robots tended to be like stationary and really fixed and all of a sudden they're smaller they're more agile um they can be more adaptable but they're always you know typically, like you said, they're, they're elevating the human or they're taking yeah. away distractions that you don't need to worry about and, and making folks uh, able to deliver either more precise, more valuable work um, just as a, as a general trend. Um, the, the fact that they're, they're smaller and more adaptable, these like cobots specifically, mm. now we can use them in more places and we can all of a sudden where it was maybe cost prohibitive or size prohibitive, space prohibitive. All of a sudden we can be very creative with these. And then they're not just, you know, doing one thing anymore. They, they're very functional. And like today it can be doing this tomorrow can be doing something else. We can even go. One of the trends I see is, um, you know, again, taking a traditional manufacturing application solution, you, you, you build the manufacturing line, you build a fixed test station, you build a purpose built piece of equipment. And then you scale it across the line. You can think about Apple, like, you know, how many thousands of the same test stations they have to scale all of a sudden, and maybe it's necessary for that type of business, but all of a sudden someone says, well, we can do the same thing, but I can just buy one or two and I can take that sensor, put it on a, on a drone. I can put it on a, on a robotic platform. And now I can go across um, territory distance or multiple lines in a, even in Mm. a factory and and be much more flexible i can do three or four different tests and i can the robot can can survey and and audit on a on a fixed basis and so that that's the type of creativity and and you know it's happening more and more faster and and that type of innovation is accelerating so maybe we can dive into that i think like with fresh specifically marco like how do you guys go about uh like what does a typical engagement look like with you guys or Maybe just tell me a little bit more how you think about the engineering side of building some of these platforms, uh, just to, to help give some context there. Yeah, there. You know, it's a very traditional from a product development standpoint where mm-hmm. you're trying to solve. Someone comes to you with a problem to solve, and and they're usually these fairly big. You know, the audacious, hard. No one else has figured it out, so it's, they're always kind of novel. They have a trick, or a challenge, or or technology, or just obstacles that are not obvious to figure out and so you know at fresh we we do a lot of early engagements and thinking about an ideation and and involving a lot of our team members and often we'll do um you know you know some a very small exploratory phase just to be able to scope the problem appropriately understand the space we're in um and that's typical for a just a, a, a typical approach for when you don't know what the solution is exactly going to be it's great when people come and they say, I want X, Y, Z, you think about it. And, and sometimes you still ideate and go, well, have you thought about this? What about this alternative? And sometimes you hit, Oh, that, yeah, that's really what we want. Give me that. Yeah. But um, yeah, you know, we work with our clients to, to really help develop and, and figure out what it is they need, uh, uh, find the right solutions. Um, yeah. Another, another, um, trend that I see in robotics and, and something that, that we're big on is we need, we need to have, do a better job of finding scalable solutions and not mm-hmm. just reinvent the same thing over and over and over again and spending, you know, valuable time and resources on, on problems that have been solved. And so 
you know, we focus a lot on a, on a navigation solution that we have as a scalable solution. Um, and, and whether it's, we work with partners and, and you know, we're fairly technology agnostic, uh, we want to find the right solution, but we also want to bring value and say, here's, here's a solution we've, we've something we figured out, a piece of the puzzle. Um, yeah. Let's go work now on, on the really valuable part, whatever the novel and new, um, you know, problem well, is. Well, let's event. talk about that then. Like maybe tell me a little bit more about the navigation solution. And I think navigation is so key in robotics. So what, what does that consist of? And how do you, how do you break down navigation in robotics specifically? Well, you know, there's a, there's a number of sense sensors that we could, that we could use. And so we've developed, um, you know, a development platform project that has taken the things like you mentioned, like whether it's GPS, um, LIDAR, just, you know, inertial um, measurements, encoding, uh, SLAM, vision-based technologies, cool. and another, a number of other types of um, localization techniques. Mm -hmm. And we've been able to create a platform where we do all those sensor fusion and are able to, you know, figure out, we, we can do all the things essentially, and then as we have a technology or a, a solution that we're taking and, and developing with a client, we can figure out which are the right ones. It's never usually just one or two. It's a combination because um, navigation is generally a, a, one of the harder problems in robotics, but people have been spending a lot of time on it. And so we're getting to a particular level of maturity in that space where we don't need to focus on solving that problem every time. Yeah just kind of take it out of the box. Why don't you go ahead, Phil? Yeah, no, I was curious, talking a lot about the whole engineering process, and it's a very refined engineering process. When we look at the current situation, it's a really simple question. How do we go faster? How do you circumvent that? How do you get a product out that's going to fit a solution right now? Yeah, and you know, you're trying to integrate, you know, we have some of the partnerships in place, you know, uh, folks like Fictive who can turn, turn, the, the platform's amazing for turning parts quickly. Um, we've worked with a number of different technologies, and so we have a lot of the partnerships in place. We, we personally, um, if you're talking about how, you know, how does Fresh go faster, you know, we yeah. have a lot of internal capability to, to build um, ourselves, and again, working through a network of partnerships and using our expertise and experience in, um, you know, integrating these different solutions. So we have a, a bit of technology, we have a, a bit of a head start that we can leverage. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, industry in general, I, I think that as we talk about um, the shifts in the supply chains and manufacturing and the use of the role of uh, robotics, this is a, a longer term um, shift that we're going to have to navigate. Yeah. We're at the very beginning right now. And again, yeah. um, these trends will accelerate and you know, it'll it's be by, real. you know, it's unfortunate that it's by need. And so we're going to yeah. come out of this on the other side, possibly a bit more robust. Yeah. And, and on that, and on that topic, we've had a question in from the audience about that. Do you see there being automation haves and have nots at the moment? Are there, companies that are uh, suffering because they don't have the right level of automation in their logistics? And what are the pain points they're feeling? Uh, I, you know, suffering, I'm not sure. I, I think that, I think a lot of people would like to have it. And people, a lot of people love the idea, but it's, it's been a, again, traditionally, I've seen this, it's a, it's a tough investment. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, you, you know, some of these projects are, are large, um, long time frame development 
And so, you know, I agree. There are the haves and the have nots. It's, it's been, I've been very lucky to work with some of the haves. I've been able to develop some of these solutions. And, and the trick is, you know, how do we work with the smaller folks to accelerate um, their development? How do we accelerate their, um, um, the output of manufacturing to, to make more PPEs, to make more ventilator parts? And so, you know, part of it is these great new technologies like, you know, 3D printing and, and yeah, just yeah. faster controlled CNC automated type, you know, again, combinations of, uh, you know, communication platforms and, and equipment. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, let me, let me ask you one of those halves that where the automation worked really well. I know it's from a little while ago, but I, I love the valve story of the software company. And you and I talked a lot about this, that, you know, for Valve, for folks that don't know, one of the, the largest gaming platforms, the software company, and they woke up one day and they said, we're going to make a controller. Like, we're going to do this from the ground up. Um, and so, you know, and I think you guys were pretty ambitious with the amount of automation that you put into that project. Like, what what was that like, you know, even though it's, it's a couple of years back, but, you know, how did you guys approach, you know, a, an automated solution with partners like Flex and other people at that time? Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, I can, I can guarantee I wasn't there at the beginning or the inception and I can guarantee it wasn't just somebody woke up one day, but um, there was a lot of thought and consideration and, and by the team and, and it's uh, something I've, you know, referred to in the past and maybe asked you guys on previous webinars is, yeah. you know, there's this TCO stack of what's your total cost of ownership and yeah, you have what the parts cost and what the lead time, but you have all these other considerations around you know, sending your design development team over to, uh, yeah. to Asia for weeks on, you know, the time away and they're, they're dealing with factory issues, not, not designing or where, whatever their most valuable contribution might be. Um, there's even in these days, there are a lot of reasons on the bottom of that list that, you know, every two, three, five years, something happens and you think about those items on the bottom of the list. And yeah. sometimes it's, you know, tariffs and sometimes it's a factory gets flooded or sometimes, uh, unfortunately a factory, uh, is damaged or, or there's down, destruction. Whatever. And yeah. so, so some of those things weighed a little higher on, on the, um, in the mindset of, of why that project, uh, went the direction it was. And so we mm. said, you know, the, the idea was, was set that we're going to do this in North America. Yeah. For, for a variety of reasons and, and they valued those reasons much higher than than maybe the part cost and and lead time and we wanted to be flexible and being able to adapt to uh, a delivery to our customers and provide good service that way and so um, those were those were some of the external thinking around it and and it was a you know a monumental project to um, and it was still a really small team to develop a product, develop the automation, and then launch it with a partner like Flex and, and um, automation folks as well that we worked with, which were really great. Um, and I, I love this idea that you have of TCOs, like this total cost of ownership. Yeah. Do, you, do you have a structured way that you think about that now with clients? Like, how do you push people to say, like, you need to think about TCO this way? You know, how do you go about that? That's right. Yeah. You know, it's, again, it's one of those things that you get dust, it dusts off every once in a while and you yeah. start, you start with your part cost yep. and you think about, you know, you know, how long does it take a, something to transit the ocean? And that's mm -hmm. because things are typically being made offshore. And then we, we start talking about, you know, another big thing, especially with startups is just 
um, you know, buying the inventory and sitting on it and cash flow, yeah. you know, that's just huge, especially for smaller, smaller companies. Um, so again, be having your production close to your customers is really important. And that's probably next on that stack. Um, we've, you know, gone through like, and I've, I've lived through MLCC shortages and, and again, factories flooding and, and plastic yeah. plants blowing up. And it's, these things happen. Like, it's like every one, two years, something. It's surprisingly happens. high in supply chain, right? You're like, there's uh, no way yeah. this could all go wrong. Yeah. And so then, you know, we have, you know, geopolitical, everyone always just says geopolitical and they have to expand on it because boy, it means a lot of different yeah. things these days. And so, you know, these are all things that we talk about, you know, where are your critical components coming from? Um, how do you make your, so how do you remain agile, but also have some redundancy and you have to just be very purposeful, you know, as you go through that list. So yeah, so there, there is a framework and it, can, it consists of uh, elements like that. I'm gonna probably do a little bit more blogging about these as well in the yeah. future. Oh, it's great, I, I would love it. I think you're, you're an expert on supply chain meets the engineering side and I, I love this, this concept. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah, no, I was gonna say that that, that whole thing of um, TCO, total cost of ownership, but uh, also those hidden costs and what we're seeing with any disruption and what we're seeing particularly with this disruption is, specific issues coming coming to the fore and coming back onto the agenda and i think the the hope is that they become part of a uh, of a of a transformation that needs to occur and it's a transformation that needs to occur in the way that the supply chains automated itself and the way that automation operates and we've had a couple a couple more questions coming from the audience around that one of the questions and one of the terms that i think is really interesting is this idea of automating automation um and this idea that you know there are, or I'm not. yeah well not quite sure but it, it's this it's this idea that you can take technology robotic technology and use it in 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 different applications but how do you you know how do you control the controllers kind of thing how do you manage the um the managers and how do you create that agile flexible um automation particularly in the manufacturing or supply chain environment and you know is that Maybe something we're first, seeing more i'll take the first stab at it then then marco yeah. I'll, I'll give it to you i think that repeatability is so key when you think about automating automation if you will because mm -hmm. you're basically taking a process which already works pretty well and you're looking to automate that further um, and i think we've seen cases where folks companies try to jump too far ahead, like even in supply chain too, where they, they almost add too much complexity too early on, and that right. can be detrimental. In the same way that I think if you don't try to look around the corner, I think like you were saying, Marco, in supply chain, where you're looking at where geopolitical could hurt you or these kind of things, um, then you're kind of stuck because you haven't tried to automate, uh, if you will. And I think there's a lot of great solutions, but we really push companies on our side, I think, to think about um, make it repeatable first and, and de-risk that set of designs, then you can run. Don't try and run right away, like go de-risk your design before you can, can push out. Um, and I think that there's a, a lot of examples we could talk about there. I don't know if it's true in your world as well, Marco. Uh, it's definitely true. We, I've lived that life. Um, you, you want to kind of automate in the right amount and, and going too far locks you in often before your design is mature. Um, yeah. When I think about uh, automating the automation, mm -hmm. you know, I think about 
the data systems that live on top of the automation mm. because those are getting, you know, the AIs and the MLs that are starting to um, getting better, to, smarter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and be more proactive in identifying um, when that, that consistency and in in that is shifting. And, and there's a lot of great tools out there that I see a lot of value starting to happen, a lot of uh, movement and speed also in that area. And so all of a sudden, that enables your design cycles to actually be very reactive and to be yeah. able to, yeah, adapt yeah. quicker. Yeah. I yeah. Think, and I think that's, go ahead. Sorry. Go, no, I was going to say, I think that's huge. And that plays into another question because when you talk about those, those layers of intelligence or software on top of the automation, that's, that's actually making it more adaptable. Is that where the real value is? Um, one of the questions we've had is, are the, arms and the basic tools of um, automation actually quite commoditized and and the real value add surely comes in the way that's the way that's applied and the way it's configured and the intelligence that sits on top of that well i think marco you've seen some of that right like the building blocks of robotics have never been higher whether you're using ross as like your core language on there or you get to use a universal robotic arm and you get to just start with that Sounds like you guys have built some building blocks too, you know, to, to build this foundation. Is that right? Uh, on, on the autonomous uh, navigation front, that's right. Yeah, we have, yeah. you know, Rick Ross operating system for, for controlling all these inputs and directing yeah. in the robot. Um, um, sorry, going back and trying to think about the start of the question a little bit. Just on like the building blocks yeah. to help drive automation. You know, it's almost like, de like what have you seen to... Uh, uh, bring the barriers down to maybe doing some of these robotic solutions. Um, I, I mean, first and foremost, I think is, yeah, there's, a, there's a ton of accessibility. And, and again, the market is, I would say, introduced the idea that, Hey, we have a lot of innovation going on. There's a lot of people solving a lot of different problems. Mm -hmm. um, and so one, there's, there's a lot of solutions coming to market and, and there isn't quite this standardization, but we're kind of getting there. So we have this highly fragmented market. Um, that, but just, just by the sheer number of people working on different problems, all of a sudden these great solutions are bubbling up and whether they're, they're open source or, or, um, solutions that you can buy off the shelf, all of a sudden, Hey, there's a, there's a robotic shelf now that you can kind of go shopping and, and yeah. get the pieces you need. Well, I'd love yes. to, there's a question that came in that I'd love to ask specifically on that. Like, what are some of these either local or national channels, you know, that you would push people to like? What are some of these good resources, um, you know, maybe for finding some of these solutions? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a few I'm familiar with, and, and maybe yep. not as many as I I would like, but um, you know, one of my my colleagues has you know been around the country and been access uh, had access to a few of these like the Boss uh, Mass Mass Robotics, and yep. there's some great regional um, Silicon Valley Robotics. Um, we've been involved and there are some initiatives locally in the Northwest, whether they're, they're um, being spearheaded with the uh, university of Washington. We have a, a very local um, organization that we work a bit with that, that is focused on serving the local manufacturing base in the Puget sound. It's hmm. camp called camps, the center for advanced manufacturing in Puget sound and like C A M P S. That's right. Yeah. And we work with them and, and want to be able to help and elevate the conversation around um, robotics with, with those constituent members. And, and I think there's some things in the future that um, we'll be doing more around that. Do you think there's so an opportunity to take 
basically like mass robotics camps you know we have silicon valley robotics svr down here and like nationalize this in some ways like what what are you seeing in your world for how we can actually get more robotics companies you know to, to talk to each other and think together well exactly like formation of these of these um, you know industry groups at least get them get folks together um, you know, start the conversation and, you know, let's start regionally. I know that there was also the, um, uh, advanced, um, robotics and manufacturing Institute that was set up by a governmental Institute. And so there's been a few efforts with the national science foundation. I've seen, um, there isn't quite a huge governmental push that I, that I've seen personally. And not mm -hmm. to say there, there aren't folks out there, but, but there are more and more. And I think the voices are becoming a little, a little louder and eventually once we have a, uh, you know, a, a critical mass in different regions, we'll be able to uh, have, you know, at least some regional um, standardization, some regional standards and events and, and be able to then take that up to a national platform. Phil, so, quick question there, Marco. No, quick question there. How do you get no. people together when you can't get people together? That's ah. one, of, one of my questions, but also I think it's really important right now for, associations or groups to kind of step up and 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 create some collaboration so so they can connect maybe the uh the the innovation with some of the the kind of frontline needs so two questions how to how do people you know get together my my answer is really simple there i mean we're, we're really adaptable we're, uh, yeah, we're using so technology so. better every day and um you know that's just i i'm a, I'm a little old-fashioned and and just trying to get folks on. You the want screen. to go to the robot block party and do all those kind of things, and they're and they're absolutely great. I've been to lots of those events. So the second part of my question is: is those organisations are they kind of bringing like-minded people together to solve some of the issues that are out they, there? They are, yeah. And I think some of them are, you know, still fledgling, but mm -hmm. um, you know, and the ones in our region as well. And I and again, I think Fresh Fresh is going to try to take a. Um, you know, a leadership position, hopefully in, in this conversation. And, and I'm going to save that for another day because, um, you know, there's someone that we're going to have that, that'll be ready to talk about it. But I, I have seen and been involved with some of these um, um, organizations at a level and, and they are talking more and more and they started, you know, they start where they can, you know, I know that camps started a long time ago with just trying to sponsor um, first robotics and, and kids in high school and just trying to, to, to start that way and, and you know it starts at the grassroots when with the kids and that's that's what they 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 thought that they could do and so you know everyone's just trying and and we'll, we'll get there and we'll grow and it's a bit of a um you know it's been a bit of a grassroots and organ uh, uh organic type of growth but you know yeah. we'll, we'll start coalescing again get these regional yeah. centers of uh excellence and momentum I think you're so yeah, right yeah, that there's so much work to be done on the awareness side. Like you're saying, like if you start early, like a first robotics, that helps grow it up. We're we're a sponsor every year of a, at MIT of their FSAE, which is their electric uh, car program, where they build an electric race car from the ground up and races on a track. Uh, there's so much robotics uh, work that goes into that. I think what some of these groups have done to, to help do it, we need more, that there's so much hardcore applications that robotics could do with more investment i think more yeah. um, more work being done that we can apply navigation systems to we can apply you know uh, uh off the shelf to really accelerate i think a lot of the r d um so i, I couldn't agree more yeah. i just wanted to plus one 
Yeah, no, I, I think that whole that whole move from the, the the stuff that's going on in schools, that's great. That gets people connected. And then all the all the hobbyist opportunities that there are around ro robotics and that you see at these these different robotic events. I'm interested in what the kind of the path through that is. And if, if there's if there's a solid structure that if, you know, somebody's great at the uh, the robotics competition and becomes a hobbyist, can they get into you know, serious robotics and, and, and become part of that ecosystem. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the answer for that or I'm not, I guess, uh, I I, uh, my, 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 uh, strength may not be in, you know, organizing the community, um, as much as I'd like to around this, but, um, the, the, there are people out there thinking about it. Yeah. And, um, but I got a simple answer for you, Phil, my favorite example. So everyone watching this, you got to go check it out. It's called the simple, beer service so okay. this is how you get people together aws built this thing called the simple beer service and it's all on how you automate a pour out of a kegerator uh and it teaches you how to do all this different stuff on uh it's a bit of a plug for aws and amazon uh for their robotics platform but it's also yeah. like I think beer, some circuit boards, and some robotics, you get that together. And I, yeah. I think most people want to come learn about robotics then. I, I don't know what gets much better than that. Yeah, only good stuff yeah. can come from that. Yeah, exactly. Bring, I, think the, brings the, all, I think the best brings idea. Bring the people together. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how we're going to do that in a, in a post-COVID age, but uh, maybe we'll all have to build our own beer, beer tap services at home or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's just this, there's this bottoms up, you know, the that's happening and, and that's great you know the kids are learning younger and there's these great programs that you know the colleges are and, and universities are adapting and i've seen you know big industry and solution you know that the the solutions not just robotics and automation i've seen it in other areas of technology mm -hmm. um you know prices have coming down so you know whether it's we're faster better you know in the manufacturing space but all of a sudden, you know, that price point coming down orders of magnitude is a, is a, is a great thing for increasing exposure. And all of a sudden, you know, the, every kid has a 3d printer in their, in their base yeah. in their garage. And um, they're, now they're going to have, you know, maybe simple cobots. My, my son made essentially a cobot out of, out of cardboard and rubber bands and stamps yeah. at, at, at summer camp two years ago, you know? Um, yeah. And like, that's fundamentally a robot. It was human powered, but it was, it was great. It could do it could yeah. things. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. And it's it. It's key to that kind of development process to see what actually can be done. Interestingly enough, we had a couple of things in the chat box on, on events. There's a regular event um, put on by um, Silicon Valley robots and they also have a bots and beer event. So yeah, you're <laughs> dead right. What you asked Dave about it being, um, how do we do that in a post COVID COVID world, we could we could all have a beer here, I guess, but that would be a little bit a little bit early in the day. But let's move on to that post-COVID world. What do you see as the real drivers on the other side, Marco, in terms of in terms of automation? What do you see as being the real burning needs that people are going to have to that are going to want to resolve after the crisis? Is, is, I mean, I think you know, bring, bringing products, especially in the medical space, to market quicker. I, I think that we're going to need to take a, a good hard look at our supply chains and look at them as strategic resources across all kinds of different uh, sectors. Hmm. Um, the things that come to mind for me is we, we in this you know, COVID world is, uh, 
our food safety and the agricultural uh, uh, chain. And, you know, again, I, I know the, the point of a lot of farmers, there's a lot of pain in, in finding the labor to process. And again, that's, a, that's kind of a bit of a dull and dirty. And, um, you know, introducing robots where we can reduce human touch where you don't need it and maybe that's safer and, and, and is better for us overall. I, you know, I don't know, but I think that we start looking at different supply chains as a very strategic resource. And, and I know that some, some industries do, you know, like power and energy and how do we use robots to make sure that we have um, the power grid up and, up and working or expanding with natural resources and, and being able to develop uh, resources faster and more efficiently in, in, in a greener world. Um, I, I think that those are a couple opportunities for folks yeah. to really, you know, again, think about uh, supply chains being highly strategic and highly important. And, yeah. and where you think about where's your food come from? Where does your electricity come yeah. from? Yeah. And then when we think about it in terms of manufacturing, for example, um, one of the things there is that products are currently designed for the manufacturing model we have. Do we need to change some of the product design fundamentals, the design for automated manufacturing? Yeah, I think, I think the additive industry for, for certain um, has been a game changer for the last, you know, five, 10 years. And I, I'm not super deep in that, but the things that are, that it's enabling are amazing when we start well, we can basically print any any piece we have now all of a mm -hmm. sudden and all of a sudden we have a network that can combine everybody and 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 use all this idle capacity and and print um, very high tolerance either metal parts and, and carbon fiber parts and and even the the plastic materials are getting better and stronger um, you know that's just one thing where where we could build, you know, we have to change our design approach a little bit, but all of a sudden we're extremely adaptable and, and, you know, and we're shortening our development cycles as well, just with those technologies and that people have seen that, you know, easily for the last 10 years. Yeah. I think that's yeah. a great one to, to call out, to think about uh, almost how do you shorten these cycles? So you're building robotics that drive efficiencies in there, but also shortening your development cycles to get to market faster, de-risk, you know, some decision that you're making. One of the, the questions that, that came in here is, how do you guys think about like the, a good operating metric or, you know, KPI as you're building robotics? Like when you're working with customers, how do you say if it's a good place to put robots in or not? Are there principles for for how you, you approach this from a consulting um, perspective? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely just general ROI type metrics that I, that I follow a methodology that that's fixed on mm -hmm. um, just determining, you know, can we take the right amount of, uh, you know, essentially cost or time or whatever. I mean, cost money can be easily equated to time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so can we hit achievable output? Um, you know, that just, our tack times and cycle times increase. That's, that's, those are very simplistic, um, mm -hmm. you know, from a, does it make sense to automate standpoint? So yeah, there is a yeah. methodology there that we use and tools that we use to just um, determine the feasibility up front. Uh, from, from operation standpoint, you know, we, you want to have your robots and your automation up and running all the time. And so, you know, there's, there's not necessarily one key metric because I, you know, for anybody's application, what's important to you, it could yeah, be uptime. Yeah. Um, uh, 
and and without knowing the operations it's hard to it's hard to know but generally you know you think of um you know is is the machine available and, and able to do the task re requested when it's requested and and do you have all the materials in place or is it in the right position to, to do what you need and or, or is it broken down right and those are kind of your three typical things you put together to make yeah. a, uh, an oee an operational uh, metric um for any type of device but i it makes me think about also the um you know with robots and additional technologies sensor technologies and, and different light wavelengths and some of the things we're thinking about is is you can now apply robotics you know especially if you have some kind of autonomous systems you know at night when when people aren't working and yeah. all of a sudden they're doing a dirty job without people around and um and so all of a sudden they're being they're increasing your output right we're using our resources more more wisely and getting more out of our land or more out of a given resource because yeah. um, we don't have to hire our staff or work people around the, around the clock or in inclement weather. Yeah. Just before we go, before we go to wrap up and some takeaways, one of the things that I was curious in that discussion was um, the OPEX to CAPEX argument. And when you're looking at robotics, are you seeing much in terms of this trend towards robotics as a service where, you know, people can literally hire a robot to do a task, when that task is no longer required, they can either send back the robot or thanks to some software automation, it can be redeployed elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, that, that was a barrier and it's something we didn't talk about in the haves and have nots. And we, we need to come up with models, essentially robotics as a service. And, and you know, can we call out the, the purpose-built robot and share it? And is it a shared mm. resources? Um, or is it a, um, a different kind of model just from a costing standpoint where you're not fronting the bill up front and you're, you're in a pay per use. And mm -hmm. that's something we've done a little bit of thinking on, but you're, you're right. And I think it's a need that we need to, we need to think about a little bit more of this robotics as a, as a service. Yeah. I think the disruptive business models there are really, are really valid. Yeah. As yeah. we move into that. So what I'd like to do in the last five minutes is just kind of, figure out what the wrap-ups are what the takeaways are what we can what we can send our viewers um home with and what they what they really need to think about i don't know who wants to take it take it first well, Dave, I'll, take, I'll take the first one i think my favorite quote might have been from you phil that humans are freaking awesome so <laughs> i think that if i get to have a conversation about robots and what i take away is humans are freaking awesome uh i couldn't couldn't agree more um you know i, I think marco some of the stuff that i I learned that I, I just love this is this concept of adaptability in robotics. Like how, how do you how do you shift things and uh, applying total cost of ownership to to adaptability, whether we we build or, or not. Um, and definitely a framework I'm going to start bucketing more is those three D's. I think of the dull, dirty, dangerous, and saying how do we how do we help simplify some of the solutions people are building to say well what are you really trying to solve there. I think those are some some great frameworks from a robotics and how we how we approach supply chain for them. So thanks for sharing those with me. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, and I think just to you know, like Phil said, I people are so adaptable and they're good at, at really precise and high value and ambiguous situations. And it's this, you know, I like to think of this as um, robotics and automation help elevate people and mm -hmm. and they help people. We're not taking jobs away. We're letting them focus on more valuable things and, and, and saving lives and things like that. So we're, we're really, you know, using robotics uh, for the right, 
right thing. And again, just as a takeaway, this last point we were talking about, I, I think we need to look at, again, the, the strategic protection of these different um, supply chains and, and, and really think about that, whether it's just, you know, manufacturing or across different industries, how do we yeah. get um, materials from, from point A to the end user? And, you know, being close and flexible and adding on top of that, you know, the, the logistics and the, and the AI and the thing that can, the things that you can do to help speed that as well as, you know, the producing, but getting it to people is yeah. a huge opportunity. Yeah. And I think what you, when you talk about, and it's again, this, this human interaction thing, when you talk about those things, it's identifying the right solution, isn't it? Don't chase, don't chase the wrong automation, figure out what the right automation is and do that. And, you know, again, every time I go to CES, I, I wander around Eureka Park and think, yeah, I'm not quite sure why you're doing that. that would, <laughs> that's always my first question. It's not what can we do? It's kind of, it's kind of, kind of, why are we doing it? But I think for me, some of the key takeaways are around the opportunities that robotics has to help in the current situation. And that's, that's very tangible and that's, and that's very right now because that ability to create distance is huge. People are awesome. So collaboration is absolutely key, whether it's collaborative robots, but that idea of augmenting is, um, is really huge. The fact that we have to shorten development cycles now is really big and using, using what you have to do that, whether that's digital building blocks like robotics and machine learning and all those things, or whether it's just as simple as this is what's available in the supply chain. This is what we need to design to. So no. I think, you know, I think those are really important, but clearly we're going to see a big trend in more automation, more digital transformation as we get to the kind of, tail end of this crisis and the important thing is to learn from everything we've done during that crisis so you know we talked at the very beginning dave about agility and yeah. the speed at which you've stood up new products yeah. let's let's really embrace that and and kind of take that forward as 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 a mantra for for products that that just need to be fast because because they're valuable to get out there couldn't couldn't agree more and on that note uh, just one more big thank you to you, Marco, for being our expert in teaching me today. Thank uh, you. Really, really learned a lot and, and appreciate it. And, Absolutely. Uh, and, every, and to everyone else out there, be be safe. It's a crazy time in the world. Uh, and so thoughts uh, and prayers go out to everyone's families and uh, keep the social distancing up, everyone. So yeah, that's right. Stay changing, yes. Thank you, everyone. Right on. Be well, be safe. Thank you, everyone. Take care. Yep, thank you. All right, bye.